you know, one of the one of the things I love about kids is they view life as something to be lived, the earth as something to be engaged. I uh, I remember I saw a Facebook post a while ago, and it had two pictures of the same beach. I think it was in uh, Morro Bay. And on one side was the beach before people had gotten there. And, of course, Morro Bay is so windy, it kind of like cleans everything up, right? It looks pristine like every morning. And then the other side was the beach at the end of the day, you know, and there were sand castles and footprints and sand angel prints and all that. And I remember the question, the Facebook question was, uh, you know, which, uh, which picture do you think was God's plan for the beach? And I remember like, man, what a simple way to say it. But, you know, obviously when you look at the beach that had sandcastles and snow angels and little soccer courts carved out, you know, that was the purpose of the beach. You know, not to sit and look at, you know, this beautiful little curved sand thing, although that can be cool. I'm not saying that's not, but that the beach was engaged. It was used. It was loved. And one of the things I really think that feel like the kids taught me at kids camp was, you know, you're too, you're, you're too clean, Pastor Tom. You're too neat, Nick. You're too, you know, you're too tight. You know, sometimes you got to loosen up a little bit, you know, have a little bit of chocolate running off the side of your mouth, you know, have a, you know, forget your deodorant for a day and have everybody talk about it. No, that's not, it's not going to happen, you know. But there was a little bit like, you know, yeah, you know, there is a quality of life where we can think so much about having everything in its perfect place when God's waking up every day saying, man, let's have fun today. And uh, that, that was one of, the thing, one of the things I really enjoyed about camp. And then the other thing was the sense of sometimes we can think God can only be perceived by, you know, adults who are, you know, whatever. But man, I tell you, the, the, from the youngest child we brought to the oldest, their experience with the Holy Spirit was quite common. And I'll tell you one thing that was very interesting. They are hungry for the Bible. They want to know what the Bible says. They want to know what the Bible teaches. They, they kind of look at it like, this is a special book. This book has got something to offer. And every time, and I've been to a lot of camps and I'm usually the youth pastor trying, get your Bibles out, get your pens out, come on, it's chapel time. And I'm the one that's like, got to like kind of shepherd them into it. Not this camp. This camp, they couldn't wait to see Bible scriptures. I think because they see so few. It's like new. It's a novelty. Kids are looking at that like, well, that's in the Bible? Really? And I'm thinking to myself, that's all over the Bible. But I'm noticing there's a real newness and a freshness and a desire for kids to hear what God has to say about them, what God has to say about himself, what God has to say about the future. And so our camp verse this week comes out of the letter to the Galatians that Paul wrote. And it comes out of chapter 2, Galatians 2.20. If you have a Bible or if you ha- uh, your Bible is on, uh, on your cell phone, uh, go ahead and whip that out real quick because it's not going to be on the screen uh, today. And so if you could uh, just find that with me real quick. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Yeah, where is it? Come on back. And uh, it says this. 
I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now all week long, it was the the camp verse for all the camps. So all the camp speakers hammered that one verse. And I'll tell you this right now, that one verse is enough. There's a lot in there. But the pastor and me, was slightly disappointed that they didn't give the context for which that verse was given or the context of the whole book because it really highlights even more what the point that Paul is trying to get uh, with the book of Galatians, which is a really good comparison between the law and what we do to earn God's favor and grace and what he has done to give it to us. And the setting is kind of like this. There's a party in the early church. How many of you like parties? I love parties. And there's food there. How many of you love food? I'm like, can every hand please get up? I want to know that you're alive. You all have to love food in one way or another. If for no other reason, it keeps you alive. So there's a party and there's food. And two people from Christian history are at this party. One is the great Apostle Peter. Apostle Peter, he's the one that after Jesus and the, and the, the Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes down and uh, fills them, he's the one that goes out, kind of gives the first sermon and starts the church. 3,000 member church, day one. Uh, Apostle Peter really gets it started. He kind of, you know... Uh, remains the head of the Christian movement for quite some time. He's got a lot of prominence. He's like one of the alphas in the church. And then you've got the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul did not start that way at all. In fact, while Peter was getting the church going, Paul was trying to find these people who had converted to Christianity, arrest them, imprison them, and then execute them. Both men did this for many years. Until one day, Paul is trying to round up these Christians and Jesus has a face-to-face encounter with him on the road to Damascus. And Paul converts to Christianity and becomes a Christian apostle to the Gentiles. In other words, to the non-Jews. Peter has been very effective. There's been lots of Jews that have come into the faith and he's taught them from the scriptures who Jesus really is and what Jesus did on the cross. Paul has been very effective. But he has not gone to the Jews, he's gone to the non-Jews, the Greeks, the Turks, the Persians, all these kinds of non-Jewish people that are in this Roman world. Paul is preaching to them, and they are accepting Christ. And he's preaching the same thing. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He offers a free gift of salvation. Both of these powerhouse preachers, powerhouse apostles, are at the same party at the same time. And something awful happens at this party. Something that I'm glad I was not there to see it. During the course of the party, there were Jewish Christians and there were Gentile Christians. I'll call them, just for the sake of argument, Greek Christians. We've got the Jewish Christians who have the heritage, right, of the Messiah in their family line. We've got the Greek Christians who were forbidden to even come into some of the worship areas of the temple. They were considered unclean, 
unworthy to come into that great temple of Jerusalem. They had a court of Gentiles they could come into, but they couldn't participate like a regular Jew. The Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter show up. And Peter does something horrible. Oh, he probably says, hi, how you doing? Shakes a few hands of the Greek Christians. But then proceeds immediately to remove himself and sit at the table and hang out. And I imagine they all kind of like maybe even turn their backs and they start talking and he's now hanging out with all the Jewish Christians. And all the Greek Christians who are there at the party, who may have already felt like they're a little bit of the outsider, you know? Remember, they had Zeus and Apollo and Asclepius and Diana and Athena. They had all of these gods that they've just renounced. So they recognize they don't have the same heritage with this like the Jews do. So they watch Peter go to them, and Paul looks on with horror because he's recognizing these Greeks are looking at Peter and thinking, you know what, maybe there's something we don't have that they have that makes us feel like we don't measure up. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've been to parties like that. Parties where I come, and it's very clear that circle is the circle to be in. You know, that conversation is the conversation to be in. Those ones, and you're just kind of on the outside. You're there at the party, but you're getting the message. Something about you is not worthy of them. And the Apostle Paul had worked so hard, so hard to explain the gospel of Christianity. Do you know what the gospel of Christianity is? I'll tell it to you in a very easy sentence. The law, which is trying to earn our way to heaven, the law says do. Grace says done, right? So Peter's with all these people who have the heritage of the law. Not only do we have Jesus, we have Moses. We've got the law in which we've done it. We've got Jesus in which he's done it. We've got like double entrance. You know, we've got double grace. We've got double the blessing. We've got double God's favor. We've got double God's love. We've got double God's blessing. And they're beginning to think this way. And Paul is looking at this with horror because he realizes the implications for Christianity if it continues to happen. There will be the favored Christians and the we-let-you-in Christians. And Paul's horrified because he looks into his heart and then he looks over there on that wall and he sees that cross that Jesus died on. And that cross was for the sins of the world. So whether you're Greek, whether you're British, whether you're Mexican, whether you're Turkish, Chinese, even Filipino. (laughs) The cross of Jesus Christ is equal to everybody. There is no in crowd at the cross. There is no advanced. There is no, well, God favors this section. They are all equal at the cross. And in this context, Paul does something incredible, something I see so few people ever do. Because remember, he's still kind of the murderer, you know? Some of those Jewish Christians may have been formerly imprisoned by Paul, and now they're at the same party. 
Paul stands up and he says, Peter, what you are doing is wrong. You have removed yourself and you have sectioned yourself off with a particular type of Christian. But that's not the gospel. We are all equal at the cross of Jesus. The same forgiveness I have is the same forgiveness this Greek has and the same forgiveness that Jew has and we all need it equal. We all need it. But by your example, you are saying that this is something superior. You have separated yourself out. And Paul confronts Peter on this very same issue. And the climax Paul's thought, he says this, I I have been crucified with Jesus. Everything who I ever was, everything I ever did, everything that God could say, that deserves judgment. I died with Jesus on that cross. When he died, all of me was in there with him. All of my sin, all of my brokenness, all of my pain, all of my suffering, all of my heart, all of my family line and my family heritage, everything about me was there on that cross. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Peter, Jewish Peter is dead. Jewish Paul is dead. The only thing that lives now is resurrected Peter in Christ. Resurrected Paul in Christ. But the old alliances and bloodlines are gone. They count for nothing, Peter. I have been crucified with Christ. When God looks upon us, he does not see Tom Nackey. He sees Tom Nackey crucified on the cross and risen with Jesus. And thank God for that. I would not God. I want to have God relate to me as my deeds deserve. Because I can be mean. You should have heard me last night in traffic. I can be horrible. I'm like, I'm, I'm just going nuts. And I'm th- all of a sudden the thought hits me. I got my kids in the car. So I, I'm thinking to myself, man, I, I, I'm so glad I have been, cru- that has been nailed to the cross. Paul says, I, I'm no longer alive. It's Christ living in me. That's all that's left. That's Christianity. We're crucified with Christ. What's left living in us is the Holy Spirit. Is Jesus living in us. Therefore, I no longer live. But he says, Christ now lives in me and the life I live in the flesh. Because some of you are going, wait a minute, if you're dead, you know, this whole thing, I, I, it's just too big for me. Paul says, let me explain it. The life I now live in the flesh, because obviously I'm still very much alive even though I've been crucified. The life I now live in the flesh, I no longer live in the anger and fear and rage and competition of humanity. Dog eat dog, I'm going to beat you because I'm the one that's going to survive. Paul says, I no longer live in that. The life I now live, I live by faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You want to beat me? That's fine. Because I live by faith in Jesus. You want to brag to me? That's fine. Because, I mean, this, this is a this is a greater treasure. You know, I mean, Paul has been so freed from the pressures, horrors, and anger of the world we live in. He says, I don't want to go back to that, Peter. I don't want to go back to sitting with Jews again. 
Because once I go back to that, the fear, the anger, and the pride swell in and infect my soul like a spiritual cancer. I don't want to go back to that. I have been crucified, and so have you, and you are the chief apostle, and we need to live it. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And then he closes with an amazing thing. He says, who loved me and gave himself up for me. The interesting thing I learned about camp, especially working with kids, there is a real growing thing, and it's growing huge, where you have a huge amount of the population that really do not believe in God or spiritual things. They look and say, this is it. This is life. This is existence. The spiritual realm, God as creator, the afterlife, heaven, it's oblivious. to so. It's not like you ask them, what do you think about this? You know what the normal response is? I don't think about it at all. I'm like, really? Something as big as there might be an afterlife that you die and you're still alive? That's not a thought that a... No, don't really much give it much thought. Guess I will one day. I think to myself, one day? We're all ticking time bombs. We're not promised tomorrow. One day is today, right? You know? And one of the greatest things I see in this verse is Paul saying, I live by faith in the Son of God. Point number one, he believed in God. There is a God. There is a creator. Once we get past that hurdle, we have the next hurdle to get past is does what does God, how does God feel about me? So for the vast majority of people who don't even believe in God, it's not even worth it to me to talk to them about, telemarketer, to talk to them, I should have taken the call, uh, to, to talk to them about God's love because they don't even believe in God. So they look at you and laugh, <laughs> God's love, there's no God, you know? So point one is just to let the world know, there is a God, a creator who loves. There's a spiritual realm that co It's all real. The most toughest part of being a pastor is for the last 20 years, I've had a front row seats to some spiritual things that would blow our minds away. And I can't tell people because their basic belief is that there is no God. Once we get past that, then there's the question, how does God feel about me? And Paul answers it. He loved me and he gave himself up for me. He loved a murderer. He loved an extortionist. He loved an executor. He loved a very prideful man, very sinful man. Paul says, he loved me, and he gave himself up for me. I met a lot of kids who believe in God, but think God can't stand them. Think God hates them. Think God's against them. Think God just wants to ruin their life, or that God tolerates them. I say, no, 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 look closely at the verse. God loves you. There's no part of you that God has to tolerate. It's all over. That cross changes completely the way God looks at the human being. And they'll say, then what's the deal? I'll say, it's this. Either ex believe and accept it and live it, or reject it and walk from it. That's the two choices. And of course, kids are, they, they love to wrestle with that. Well, you know, I want to believe it, but I, you know, it's a great wrestling match. But the closing line is this, that God loved us 
and that he gave himself up for us. See, it's easy to say I love you. It's very easy to say it. <laughs> In fact, at the junior high camp, I was around these little junior high couple, and they're like, I love you. I love you. They don't just say, I love you. It's like, I love you. They like sing it and then swirl it, you know? <laughs> I love you, you know? When I say I'm like, I love you, you know? <laughs> there's, a, there's a man behind it, you know? I love you. That's easy. Oh, come on. That's so easy. That can be manipulated. That can be so. But you know what? When you love somebody, you say, you know what? I love you so much. I'm going to give my life for yours. Changes everything. That's love. Real powerful love. What I saw from this verse, what I think Paul was getting at, is that the best, most awesome outlook on life is to say, I have been crucified with the God who loved me and gave his life for me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in his will, in his direction, in his blessing, and in his spirit. Now, let's say it like I said earlier. I'd rather... Yes, I got disappointments with God just like everybody else, but I would rather go to my final breath saying I fought the good fight than saying, well, you know, God didn't really do what I wanted him to do, so 30 years ago I left him and I never turned back. I don't want to die like that. I've seen people die like that. I don't want to die like that. Uh-uh. I want to die going, you know what, God, I didn't understand everything. And there are times where I felt really disappointed by you, but you know what, I am here to the final breath. looking at the devil saying, is that all you got? Amen? I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. It is Jesus who now lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith. Letting go of all the fear and anger of the world. I live by faith in the Son of God. Because... He loved me, and he gave himself up for me. It's good enough for Paul. By all accounts, we can surmise it was good enough for Peter, and it's good enough for me. I think it's good enough for all of us. Amen? Before we close today, we're going to actually close with a song that we brought back from camp. So it's a new one. You won't know it, but I think you'll like it, and it's... Uh, it speaks to the younger generation, and I love that. I want to see the next crew rise up, take their place in serving and leading and loving the church. But before we do that, and I'll give them a second to get situated, if you could kind of bow your heads and close your eyes, and I mean everybody, I think the response this morning, the invitation is this. Say, you know what, Pastor Tom, I want, I want to get in line with Paul. I want to say it with them. I want to say, Paul, just like you said it, I say it over my life, that I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it is Jesus Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you're like, you know what, Tom, I want to say that, whether it's for the first time 
whether it's to rededicate it, maybe it, it, you've, fought, you've gotten far from it, you want to come back, get that solid. Or maybe you're like, you know what, Tom, I'm there, and I just want to affirm it. I want to feel the pleasure of the Holy Spirit surge through my body as I affirm that verse right now, that I have been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If that's you, just go ahead and look up at me right now. Amen. 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 All the camp kids know the drill. <laughs> Amen. Why don't we go ahead and say this together. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I make you my God and ask you to fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.